cool. Well, to start, I want to ask you guys to do me a favor this week. Uh, those of you towards the back, if you want to move closer to the front, that would just be awesome for me. It's, uh, we're a little, we can get a little cozy. It's Christmas, right? We can pretend like we all like each other. Well, I want to welcome you guys this evening to Church at Five. I'm Brandon, and uh, this is the English service for Calvary Chapel. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, the vision of, of what we're doing here. I know that uh, I kind of always talk a little bit about it every week. Oh, yeah, this is nice. Nice. Oh, there. there we go. And, uh, but we actually have uh, some core values, so some kind of uh, key points of what we believe in as a uh, as a service. But first and foremost, Calvary Chapel Freiburg was planted with a vision. It was planted with a goal. And that goal, a part of that vision, a part of that goal was to be international, to be an international service, an international church in Freiburg. And that's why the early service is still, or the second service, I mean, rather, in the morning, the middle service now, uh, is translated into English because that's a part of the vision That was put in the hearts of those who planted this church. And so, Church at Five, we are seeking to be faithful to that vision. That's a big part of what we're doing. And I honestly believe with all of my heart that when it was put in the hearts of those who came to Freiburg to plant this church, that God also even had this service in mind as part of the reach of being international in Freiburg. So, first and foremost, we're answering and and, uh, sticking to and being faithful to a vision that was put in the hearts of those who planted this church to begin with. But in that, we have our own kind of core values and the things that we kind of put a little bit higher than the rest. We have obviously many values and uh, a lot of things are important for us as a service and as a community, but there are three things that... uh, we as the, as the leaders kind of have in our hearts as our focus. And this is a big part of what we want to be focusing on and accomplishing. So number one is that we want to be safe. We want to be a safe place. And what that means is that no matter where you come from or what you did yesterday or what your life looks like or where you come from, that you can feel safe here, that this can be a place. And the word that comes to mind is home, that we want to feel like that people can feel like they're at home, that they're a they're, they're comfortable. They're not going to be ridiculed for where they come from or who they are or what they've done, but they would be safe and they would feel ho- like they're at home. And it's my hope that all of you would have that feeling as well when you come here, that you feel safe and you feel like this is a place that has the, the comfort of a home in that sense. But our second thing is that we want to be uncomfortable. So we want people to feel safe when they walk in the doors, but we don't want people to stay extra comfortable. I know these chairs down here are really comfortable. It's easy to take a nap. But uh, we want people to be uncomfortable in their lives. So when we come in, we want to feel safe, but we also want to grow. We want to be challenged and be changed by God and by each other. So our goal in Church at Five is to be safe, but also to be uncomfortable in, with each other in the sense that we're growing and challenging each other and growing as a community also. And the last one And this is one that I find is is most dear to me and very important, I think, because it kind of brings it all together, and that's that we're authentic. We want to be authentic. Number one, as a community, as a a service, we want to be authentic. 
but also as, as individuals. It's our goal that we're being authentic. And what that means is, number one, it's living out the principles that we're talking about. So we're, you know, we're looking at the word and we're learning things and we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers also, as James said. So we want to be authentic in the way that we're living our lives. But being authentic isn't necessarily always doing what's right. I mean, we looked at a few weeks ago at Peter who, you know, almost screwed up the whole direction of the church by feeling like he was a little bit too cool to eat with certain people. And he made this huge mistake. And this is the rock on, on which the church was built. So it's okay to make mistakes. The, God built the church and he uses us. He built it on people for a reason. And so being authentic is being okay to not be perfect. It's being okay to not do everything exactly right and in living in a way that we can be real with each other, be authentic, be genuine with one another. Because we can't, be, we can't come to this place where we're uncomfortable in the sense that we're challenging each other if we're not being real with each other. So, and I'll probably talk about that again in the future, but really briefly, I wanted to just give you guys the core values of, of this service, to be a safe place, but to be challenging people and making them uncomfortable, but also being authentic and genuine in all that we do and the way that we live out our faith. So that's just a little bit about what Church at Five is about. So I hope that helps. And it's my goal that in learning this, that this is somewhere where you can feel at home and feel like this is a place that you want to be a part of and want to grow together with each other. So getting to our message for today, uh, if you are just joining us, we're going through the book of Galatians. And uh, we have been for now eight weeks. And uh, we've got a few weeks left. We're about halfway, a little past halfway through the book. And Galatians is written by Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote this book, or this letter rather, for a reason. And what happened is the, the, the people of Galatia were off track in their understanding of their faith and their understanding of their relationship between them and God. And we looked a lot at that over the last few weeks. And Paul's goal, the whole reason for this letter, is to get them back on track. He's trying to redirect them so they have a real and genuine understanding of their faith and what it means to be saved and how we live that out. And so last week, uh, Sam talked about, you know, how can we as sinners stand before God? And uh, we looked at these, he talked about these two routes of, of kind of standing right before God. And uh, one is the law, so obeying the law perfectly and how we can't obey the law perfectly. And uh, Paul is trying to warn them, hey, be careful what you're doing when you're talking about living by the law. And that was the key element of their misdirection, the people of Galatia. Their misdirection was that they were believing that faith wasn't enough, that you had to have faith, but you also had to do this and this and this and maintain all of the Old Testament laws in order to truly be a Christian. And so that leads us, of course, to the other route, which is faith by just or justification by faith in Christ, that we are made righteous, that we are made right between God and us. It's this uh, huge gap between us is made right because of Jesus and our faith in him. And that alone is what truly saves us and truly calls, uh, uh, allows us to be called Christians. 
And last week, uh, the text was really long and extensive, and it, it kind of went all the way from Abraham all the way to Jesus and talked about how the promise was given to Abraham, and that's what we looked at the week before as well, and uh, the law was given to Moses, but then Jesus brought true salvation through faith in him. And uh, so Jesus was the answer to the promise that was given to Abraham, and he was the fulfillment of the law. And so today, we get to believe and have faith in Christ and be right, be made right before God. And so that's what was kind of the subject of last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to check it out online uh, at ccfryberg.de. You can... uh, Listen to it there, and I encourage you to if you weren't able to make it. It was uh, Sam did a really great job preaching that message. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at the end of chapter 3 and a little bit of chapter 4. Before we dive into it, I just want to pray and give this service over to God. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that we can study, come together and study your word and learn more about you We want more of your presence in our lives, and we want to ask you today to open our hearts and open my heart to speak your word and open all of our hearts, Father, to to learn to see you in a new way and to understand our relationship with you better. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles open, we'll start reading uh, in verse 23. And uh, this, is, this whole text that we're going to be looking at today is a lot of review. So there's some parts we're going to go through kind of quick, and uh, other parts we'll spend more time on. But um, I do understand that uh, if it seems like I'm rushing through, maybe uh, if, you haven't, if you weren't here for the last few weeks, there was a lot that we've already covered. And, so, um, and there's some, some cool new things that I really want to spend some time on. So let's start with uh, verse 23. So before the coming of this faith, now I want to stop there actually before we go on, that before the coming of this faith is a key phrase because he's making a distinction between the old and the new covenant. And that's going to be kind of a line that stays all throughout the text. And so we want to kind of be able to pay attention to this distinction between the old and the new covenant that he's, now he's talking about before Christ. So before the coming of this faith, meaning our faith in Jesus Christ and our relationship with God through him. So before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Now here again, drawing a distinction between the old covenant and the new covenant. And I like that he, until the faith, so until this faith came, he kind of is, is hinting at the, at the promise, that the, this promise was always in mind, and he's, he's really referring to the promise that was given to Israel of this salvation that would come through a Savior. And uh, also here, he's, he refers to the law as a prison. And I think that's something we need to kind of note and, and draw our attention to, that uh, it was, we always have to keep in mind that the law it was good. The law was given by God. But it was designed for something. And here he's referring to it as a prison. As this something. It wasn't something that brought life. That was the promise of Jesus. But it was something that 
kept us, kept us in. It was a border. And uh, verse 24. So the law was our guardian until Christ, again our hope, came that we might be justified by faith. Now that word guardian is very interesting. It's, uh, it's, sometime, it's sometimes translated as teacher, sometimes as tutor. Uh, Paul also talks about it in Romans. And it's, uh, it's not a teacher in the sense that someone who teaches you or that you learn from. It's not a guardian that offers you some kind of uh, insight or teaching. It's more of somebody who, it's more of a drill instructor really. I think would be a better term. It's someone who kept you from going the wrong way. That was quick to punish and quick to reprimand. And I think that's important for us to remember because again, showing this distinction between what was and what is. And of course, we've talked a lot about this hope of being justified by Christ and and our faith in him. But I've also mentioned, and Paul, or Paul, Sam mentioned last week, that it's something we need to be constantly reminded of, of our justification through faith in Christ alone. Now, verse 25. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We're no longer in the prison. We're no longer slaves to a taskmaster. And later he refers to it as like, like being a slave. We're no longer under that. So this means our freedom, our freedom from the law, our freedom of what we've talked about, of having to work or to earn our way to God. But I think that we always have to kind of come back to this, well, does that mean I can do whatever I want? Can I live however I want to live? If I'm free from the law, if I'm free from rules or from this kind of these borders that were laid out, Well, instead of rules, we have a God who changes our hearts and conforms our minds. And this was the the promise that goes all the way back to Abraham. What we have today, what we're experiencing now in our salvation and the changing of our hearts goes all the way back to the promise given to Abraham. And one of my favorite examples of this of, uh, of how God works in our hearts, and again, this distinction between the Old Covenant and the New, is in Jeremiah uh, 31, verses, uh, verse 33. And here the prophet shows God's promise of a life lived in this new covenant, of what it means, of what God's promise was. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the new covenant. That's what we experience. That's so much more intimate. It's so much more personal. And if you're wondering, it does say the promise of, to Israel. But as we looked at last week, and actually Paul's going to mention it again, that uh, when uh, Abraham stood up and looked at the sky and saw all the stars, And he uh, talks about his descendants will be more numerous than the stars or the grains of sand on all the beaches on the world. 
He's referring to us. He's referring to the new covenant believers. It was started with Israel, and that promise is first to Israel, but also to all those who would believe on Christ as their Savior. So we are, this promise is referring to us as believers, and he's talking about this new covenant, this new way of doing things, where instead of this book being something that's separated from us, it's something that's put in our hearts, it's something that we're transformed with as God is working within us. And uh, let's go ahead and continue the text. A lot to get through still. So verse uh, 26 now. So chapter, or chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So... Here we see this awesome transition. So we know that we're justified by faith. And we know we're no longer in this prison or under this guardian of the law. But it's so much more amazing than that. He calls us children. He calls us sons and daughters. And that's so much greater. And and in verse 26, there's a significance in this word children. It's uh, sometimes, I don't know if it's translated children or sometimes it's translated son and sometimes it's translated children but it's an important word because the original was actually son and not just son but it was a legal term for a son who's adopted and who has right a right to the inheritance and so that's a key element of uh of that word that's and again it's it's definitely for men and women he's not making any sort of uh, distinction between men and women in that sense. But it's important for the time that when we look at the word he used uh, in the Roman world, that would have been a, a legal term for a son who's adopted and who has a right to the inheritance. And that's a big difference that we're not just, uh, you know, we're not just his children. We're heirs. We're co-heirs with Christ, the Bible also says. That we're heirs. I mean, so we have rights and we have uh we get to take the name and we get to uh take the inheritance that was promised so that's a key element of that there's a, a difference between uh you know just a child and this sonship this adoption that we experience in our relationship with him again men and women of course but i think he uses that word because of the legal definition of it and that it's more than just, uh, it's more than just a child. It's it's a, a child that has rights and has an, an heir, is an heir with Christ. So, what do we get? What's our inheritance? Well, there is a lot we could get into when it comes to what our inheritance is. But number one is our salvation. <laughs> it's our relationship with God through Christ is a part of our inheritance. Another is the Holy Spirit that lives within us and works within us. And the, all of the gifts that come with the Holy Spirit working and living within us. And also, what we really want to draw our attention to is that this, it's this writing of the law in our hearts. It's this work that happens within us. 
is a part of our inheritance. Again, with the distinction between the old and the new covenant. They had a book, and we have something that's being written in our hearts. So when we read scripture, it's not just words on a page, but something that speaks directly to our hearts and conforms our minds through the Holy Spirit. And uh, in verse 27, he talks about being baptized into Christ, being clothed with Christ. And uh, I think he's, there's a lot that could be said about baptism. Baptism is a, an, a huge and important part of, of our kind of commitment. And it's, uh, there's a lot that it signifies and a lot that it actually means when we do it. But we don't have time to get into that. I just want to show this image of, of baptism that I think he's talking about here of this kind of literally going into the water and coming out that we are literally dying in this in this symbolism we're dying with Christ and being we rise to a new life we rise we we're also resurrected with Christ and this kind of clothing ourselves it's something that that's put on that's a part of us and uh so i think there's uh, there's some imagery there that's that's worth kind of drawing our eyes to and uh, and noting of what it can look like. First of all, the importance of baptism as an image, as something that's that has meaning, but also as something that we're clothed with Christ. We're we're one with Him in that sense, and it's something that's a part of who we are. Jesus becomes our identity, and that's I think what is meant with this uh, being clothed with him that's we die with him and we rise with him our identity is first and foremost in christ so galatians 3 28 and 29 there is neither jew nor gentile neither slave nor free nor is there male and female for you are all one in christ If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So first, I just want to again emphasize that we are, that promise is for us, that we are heirs with Christ. According to that promise that was given thousands and thousands of years ago to Abraham. But we've talked a lot about that already So I want to draw our attention to what we see in verse 28. Neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. So first, when he talks about Jew or Gentile, I think there's a special significance in him bringing that up. Because again, of what we looked at a few, uh, more than a few weeks ago with Peter, that, uh, you know, Peter didn't want to eat with uh, the Gentiles because he was afraid of what the Jews would think of him. And so I think... He's, uh, uh, Paul's drawing our attention to this fact that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, if, you're, if you belong to the, to the Israelites or, or if you're a Gentile, that, that doesn't matter anymore. And he draws special attention to that because of that was a big part of the issue they were dealing with. That people were telling him, you have to live like the Jews do in order to be a Christian. So he's saying, no, there is, there, there's no Jew or Gentile. We're all one in Christ. And I also want to, I talked about it at the beginning. I want to bring it up again that, you know, here, that's a, that's a big part of what we believe here in this service and what this church believes as a whole of 
being unified, that we truly are one in Christ. It's, and you don't hear it a lot anymore, but I, I do think that it's, it actually has a lot of power that, you know, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, that kind of got weird a little bit in the 90s when everybody was like, yeah, brother, sister, just kind of got a little bit out of hand. But we truly are brothers and sisters in Christ. We really are united in that. And there's something amazing and beautiful in that image of being united as a family of Christ. Again, going back to this promise that was given to Abraham. And I, I love this image of him staring up at the sky and looking at the stars and God having us in mind as one of those stars, as one of the images of those stars that Abraham was looking at as one of his descendants. And there's something very freeing and uniting in that fact. First Corinthians uh, twelve twenty seven, pretty famous verse. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. We are the body of Christ. We are united. We're the family of Christ. And uh, that doesn't mean that we're not different. We're not individuals. Obviously, that's not what uh, Paul is saying. He knows that we're all different people. And, um, but we are united in this, that we are all a part of the body of Christ. And I think that... Uh, his point is that our nationality, our social status, our money, our possessions, our things, and he even goes as far as to say our gender, isn't ultimately what defines us. Now, obviously there are roles in all of those things because we see Paul talk about you know, nationality and gender and uh, you know, social status as different types of callings that God uses and whatnot. But, so the point he's, he's trying to make is that ultimately... We're first and foremost identified as the body of Christ. And that, I think, is a powerful thing to connect with and to be a part of. That these things aren't what defines us. That we are his children. We're children of God. So let's go on and switch to Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. fairly quickly because I want to spend some time at the end talking about a few other things. So, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Now that is in reference to the Israelites. They were given the promise of a salvation, of a new covenant that would come, and, uh, but it hadn't come yet. So they were still under the law. They were still under this, uh, these, this guardian, if you will, uh, until the time when Jesus came, the time set by the Father. And uh, so they had the promise, but they hadn't quite received it yet. Verse 3. So also, when we were under age... We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Now that is a very strange verse. I think it's, uh, it's one that we have to 
We have to look at it a little bit because what does that mean? Elemental spiritual forces of the world, if that's the same translation. Sometimes I have a newer version of the NIV, so sometimes it's a little different, but the point is the same. And this is a reference, I think, mostly to both the, the Galatians and the, the pagan gods that they would have been serving. So they also had these crazy rituals and much crazier and uh, rules and regulations that they had to upkeep. And also the Mosaic law, so the law that we see in the Bible of and this need or this uh, pushing to try to uphold those. And he's talking about, when he talks about these spiritual forces of the world, I think it comes from two directions. It comes from within us and from without and uh, I think that's the point he's trying to make. So first, within us, you know, when we're trying to, to live our lives by these standards, following the law in full, that we're slaves to it. And because we're not able to achieve it in ourselves. So it makes us slaves to our attempts to, be, to live by these standards. And we are enslaved by our own sinful nature. So, and that is a part of the sinful of this world. The world is a fallen place. There's sin in it. And that's in our flesh as human beings, we are prone to sin and prone to make mistakes. And uh, I don't have this in my notes, but somewhere Paul talks about, uh, you know, everything I, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I want to do, I can't. And I think that's the uh, image here is that this kind of battle of the self between what our spirit so God lives within us, our spirit is within us, and this battle between that and our flesh. And obviously, before we had Christ, before Christ was living within, that battle was not a fair one. But he also, I think, is talking about outside forces. And I, without getting too much into it, um, I think that there is this kind of this spiritual force in the world. There is... If we, you know, if we believe in the Spirit of God, we have to also believe that there are demonic and evil presences in the, in the world that are pressing against us. And I think that is also what he's talking about, especially when, when talking to the Galatians in the, their pagan worship and, and just the strange rituals, a lot of children being sacrificed and crazy things that would go on in some of the pagan temples. And so... I think that is another element of what he's talking about. Continuing on with our text, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, first and foremost, right at the beginning, the set time and I think we just, I want to point out that it's not an accident that Jesus came when he did. It was always planned. It was always in God's mind to do it when he did it, the way he did it. And uh, there's a purpose and this kind of fulfilling of a promise. And we talked a lot about this already, so I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But just keeping in mind that God always had a plan. He always had a purpose and a reason the way that things unfolded the way they did. And... Um, he knew what he was doing in this, in this plan. And this phrase, adoption to sonship, is so important. When we've, we already talked a little bit about it, I want to talk about it some more. It's just, adoption 
is a key phrase there because adoption not only the way that he he talks about it as as being adopted as it's not just a child but one that has access to inheritance but also with adoption there's this sense of being of being called of being chosen you know uh nobody adopts a child by accident some people have children by accident but people don't adopt a child by accident god purposely moves in our heart purposely calls us to him and he loves us intimately individually as adopted children i think that's makes it all the more amazing to me so where were we verse six because you are his sons god sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out abba father so you are no longer a slave but god's child and since you are his child god has made you also an heir now that god sent the spirit of his son into our hearts is is what we saw in jeremiah and it's in isaiah it's it's a lot in the old testament a lot of the prophets talked about this new covenant it was a promise that the israelites were really anticipating of this new covenant of a god who is intimate who writes on our hearts who molds our minds the power of the holy spirit but where i want to direct the tons of time we have left is why is this important to know it sounds awesome it sounds great it's it sounds like it might be good to understand but really why is it important to know this why is it important for us to grasp this idea of adoption that we are god's children why do we need to know that and i think the core of it is that this is the core of our purpose and our calling as believers the root of why we are and i think when we talk about purpose i want to first just go through a few things that aren't our core purpose that we sometimes can think is one is worshiping god now that's important and it's awesome to worship worship god and it's something that we want to strive to but if we say that our purpose is to worship god that god created us to worship him we're kind of putting god into this box of this kind of egotistical rock star who needs to be told how great he is god loves it when we worship him but he doesn't need our worship he was fine before we started singing him songs And so when we're talking about purpose, we have to single out worshiping him is not our purpose. Reading the Bible is important, but it's not our purpose. It's not the main purpose that we have in in God's creating us. It was not so that we would read the books he writes. He doesn't need us to read his books. It's not serving in church, although that's very important. It's very important. But... God didn't create us because he needed to build churches. He, these were all gifts to us. It's, our gift, it's God's gift to us to worship him. It's God's gift to us to have the word of God. It's God's gift to us to be able to serve, oh, excuse me, to serve in church. 
It's not our purpose to be good people. And Sam used the example of helping a little old lady across the street. That's not why God created us. So then what? What is the purpose? What is the meaning of life? We're going to answer it right now. Everybody get your pens out. 42, that's it. For those who watch too many movies like me or books. The meaning of life, I think as God's sons and daughters in that relationship we have with him, in his creating us, the purpose was to be loved by God. Not to give something to him, but to receive. To be loved by God. That's God's gift. And that's what glorifies him. When we are loved and accepted by him. When we truly live loved by him. All good works, all good deeds, all the great things that we can do for God flow out of his love for us. First his love for us, then we have something to give. And John uh, seven thirty eight, Jesus says this, and I think it's the greatest image of this. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Living water will flow from within them. Well, water has to flow in in order for it to flow out. When we're loved by God, when we understand that we're loved and accepted just as we are, as we're being molded into who he's molding us to become, we're loved by him. And that is where our good deeds and our good things and the, whatever God puts on your heart or calls you to do, it all flows from being loved by him. When we're truly loved and we live out being loved, it makes all the difference makes all the difference in our lives and in our faith with him and that that the spirit cries abba father abba is a really great band from the 80s but it also means uh father in arabic and the spirit of god comes within us and cries out abba father because of his love for us. And I'm going to try to move a little faster. I think this is really important. And it is our last message of the year, so we might go a little long. It's through his love for us in sending Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins that we can come to him as Father. When we know this, when we truly understand it, that we're loved, it changes the way we perceive our purpose, the way we live out the things that we do for God. In myself, I have no right to come to God and call him Father. It's only through Jesus Christ that I have that right, that I'm adopted, and that was an act of love for us. I want to get a little personal with you guys. You know, when I was a kid, so I don't know, probably around 10 in that age group, my dad always used to be working in his shop, fiddling with something, fixing something, building something. And uh, 
I would go in there, and I remember thinking, you know, how cool it was, and the power tools, and all of this, uh, just building things and working on things. I always loved that when I was a kid. And when he would ask me to help him, I remember being so honored and just, you know, if he would ask me to do a simple task, cut a board, I'd go and I'd measure it like seven times and I'd want to cut like the perfect line that's ever been cut in the history of cutting boards. And I would really want to bring my best. I would really want it to, to, to give it my all. And because I was honored that he would ask me to do that. But looking back, I see why did he ask me to help him? Because even though I thought it was the straightest line ever cut of all time, it definitely wasn't. It wasn't that good. I, didn't, I wasn't capable of doing it as well as he could. He didn't need me to do it. He didn't need me to help him. He allowed me to help him because he loved me and he wanted to see me grow and to see me learn and to see and to challenge me. And that's our relationship with God. He doesn't need us for anything. He is all sustaining in himself. He does not need us. He wants us. He chose us. He adopted us because he loves us that much. That is a huge difference. I need to work for this. I need to do this for God. I need to do this for God. First, be loved by him. When you're really loved by him, all of that comes so much easier. That God doesn't need me to help him. He wants me to. He's choosing me and really blessing me with the opportunity to help him. That's the difference. The law said what we needed to do. It guided us. But God's love empowers us. God's love strengthens us. So I'm going to get personal again. So I have another story. This one happened when I was a bit older. I don't know, probably 18, maybe 19. And uh, I had been kind of living my life for myself and doing my own thing. And I was driving in my car and... In, in the States at that time, Christian music was really popular and always on the radio. And this song came on that I don't particularly like that much and by a band that's not particularly my favorite. And uh, it was Third Day, and it was the song, Don't You Know I've Always Loved You. And it's a bit of a cheesy song if you look at it on paper. But for some reason, I was driving my car, and suddenly it was like the music went dim and God's voice was like speaking to me through the, the radio. It didn't happen like that. Like it wasn't like weird. It wasn't like lightning and thunder and clouds in my car. It was just in my heart that God was speaking. But to me, it felt like he was sitting in the car with me. And it broke me down completely. Because I felt like, you know, I needed to get my life on track before God would really love me. I needed to get things in order. I needed to get back to where I was or better before God could really love me. And man, I mean, just thinking about it, it gets me a little bit emotional. It, and this is, my, this is my hope, and I'm telling you this story because it's my hope for you today that you would get this. Don't you know I've always loved you? 
That's such a powerful statement. I've always loved you. Even when you, no matter what you were doing, and there's nobody in here that's never sinned. There's nobody in here that's without fault. So even in the worst, even in your darkest of moments, don't you know he's always loved you? When we grasp that and we open our hearts and we take off the callous of trying to work so hard and we take off the, the weight of trying to be what we think we need to be before God will truly accept us and truly love us, and we really open it up to the soft parts and let God in and let ourselves be loved by him, that's the moment when streams of water flow from us, truly flow from us. When we're just loved and we live loved, there's a huge difference in somebody who lives loved and somebody who's trying to work to earn love. And you'll always be able to give more when you're first receiving. So I want to encourage you, open your heart and receive that love. I just feel like I can't say it to you enough because I can't say it to myself enough. I forget so often. I think about, you know, going through as I was preparing this message, it was so powerful to me to, to even think about that story again and, and to look back and where I had written it down. Oh, yes? Say something wrong? It's so important for us to, to remember these things. And, uh, and I'd, a couple weeks ago, I gave you guys a homework assignment of writing down promises that God has given you and, uh, and promises that you're ho- waiting for him to fulfill. And so I, my hope is that today or this week, tonight maybe, that you really have this experience that I'm talking about of grasping this. I am truly loved fully and accepted by God right now. I mean, that's what being, what, what we're really talking about is what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, that we're justified by faith. Justified and ri- being made righteous are the same thing. You can switch them out. And if you're the righteousness of God in Christ right now, well, you didn't do anything to deserve it in the first place. That's God's love. That's being truly loved and accepted because you didn't do anything to deserve it anyway. So why do you think that you can earn it or why do you think you need to do enough stuff that god would love you more or less he loves you exactly 100 percent right now and i know i'm going on and on but i'm talking to myself too it's really important for us to remember this and i know that when we talk about god as a father i I also want to mention that i know that there are really bad examples of dads really bad examples of fathers in the world and i don't know maybe you've had a bad experience with a father But God is not conformed to the ways of humanity, the ways of this world when it comes to being a father. He sets the standard, and he is a perfect father. And so when we come to him as father, we come to him as perfect father. And I want to invite the band to go ahead and come up. I want to leave you guys with this. This is kind of an emphasis-added rendition of John 3.16 kind of tying in with what we looked at today and this kind of came in my heart today and so I want to read this to you guys and uh, then we'll worship together for God loved us so much 
that he would send his one and only true son to us to be sacrificed through a death on a cross so that through our believing in him and our faith in him as our savior, we too can be called children of God. That we would not die, but live. And live as sons and daughters, adopted to sonship and daughtership, with access to all the inheritance of a firstborn. We are truly loved by God. And in this season, when we, and Christmas season, all that's going on and how busy we can be, I want us to remember, first and foremost, that the sending of, of Christ to the earth was his great love, his great act of love for us. And each and every one of us was on his heart and on his mind as he was on the cross. He loves you and you're accepted by him right now. So I want to invite you to stand and let's worship together.